Hello Podcast Collective Consciousness. I hope all is well in your world. This is the Reconsider Simon Podcast. In this audio space, I'll explore consciousness, ufology, high strangeness, the esoteric, spirituality, even the very essence of reality itself. Episode number four, Lost and Suppressed Ancient Building Technology. Hello, I'm back. It's been an incredibly long time. Um, Yeah, I think previous podcasts I was revering the fact that I'd moved to a really energetic area, a village called Ditchling and had all these amazing energy lines and stuff. Um, But actually in hindsight, uh, some of the stuff that was going on was actually quite detrimental to my health. Uh, So hilariously, I now have an opposite opinion. Um, Yeah, I've had sort of problems with my health and the kind of the new flat that I've moved to which is directly behind the church, which had a graveyard. Um, initially, I just feeling all this kind of energy, but I realised in hindsight, actually, it was kind of affecting my my health quite negatively. Um, so I made the executive decision to to basically come back to uh, live with some family just to kind of recover a bit. And it has actually meant that I've moved out of that that flat um, in Ditchling. Um so yeah, now I'm sort of homeless, have my stuff in storage. Um, so that's kind of one of the reasons why I haven't really recorded something for a while. Um, but it also just spurred on ideas about placement of buildings and and then how that kind of interacts with the human body, the human health. Um, so yeah, that kind of spurred on a whole load of questions in terms of like ancient architecture and lost and suppressed technologies, etc. So yeah, I kind of started to look at that and then realised the topic was really too broad, so I've kind of narrowed it down. So I guess with this audio piece, I'm purely going to look at, um, you know, lost and suppressed architecture. Um, the idea that potentially some of the really ancient buildings that we know of um, may, apart from just being a place of shelter or, you know, a tomb for a particular king, uh, maybe, or a you know, religious building, maybe there was something more to it that was happening, whether it would be energy generation, like spiritual initiation, a whole host of reasonings. So are we looking at kind of ancient architecture in an incorrect way? So that's going to be the driving force of this audio piece. I guess a lot of this information I'm going to be looking at today, um, there's always a lot of speculation involved, a lot of theories. Um, so some of the stuff might be quite wild. Um, but yeah, I just tried to look at it with completely fresh eyes and really have no preconceptions about how, you know, potentially buildings worked and, you know, how much we've been potentially misled about some of the the functions of these places. Um, yeah, what's interesting is that actually originally when I, you know, left home and then went to university at the time, I was doing a thing called interior architecture in Brighton, which was essentially like architecture. It sounds like it's interior design, but it was architecture, but it was more to designing of interior spaces, but it was essentially architecture. Um, and it was pretty highly conceptual, which is kind of the aspects of the course that I really, really liked. But uh, the more the kind of pragmatic approach of creating technical drawings of buildings and floor plans was, was less exciting to me, uh, which is weird because obviously that's the <laughs> main emphasis of the course I was doing. Um, but one of the big... Um, questions we always were asked by the teachers you know what is architecture you know you need to define it and 
we would always groan at this kind of question. And, you know, we have a, you know, a modern day understanding and definition of what architecture is. And in the dictionary, it states as being the art or practice of designing and constructing buildings. And then you can then explore that more and look at the word building. What does that mean? A structure with a roof and walls, such as a house or factory. So, you know, these buildings have very practical uses, you know, for shelter, for functions for you to live in uh, or to, you know, create commerce in, as with the factory. Um, and then you can have a collection of buildings, can't you? And that starts to form a community. So you can have like a hamlet, which in the British sense is, you know, a very small collection of buildings, small collection of families or people. Um, and then one up from there, you have a village um, and then a town and then a city. Um, and then cities, by the old school kind of definition, used to be defined that you actually had a cathedral in, in, the, in the town itself that would make you a city. Um, but obviously modern day, uh, we tend to kind of base that off, off population. I've no idea what the threshold is to be a city, but that's the general rule of thumb across the world. <laughs> And then obviously you can then combine these collections of towns and cities and these forms in an entire country. Um, so it's interesting how these placements of buildings kind of are the, the epicenter of, of these communities. But then also a lot of these buildings, their pure function is for shelter, you know, f keep you away from the elements, uh, keep you healthy um, and keep you warm, etc. Or if you're in a hot environment, obviously keep you cool. Um, and they're very much places where you can go to learn, gain education, um, and then also, you know, spiritual kind of advancement, whether it would be a church or, or another area of kind of worship. So I guess, you know, buildings are literally three-dimensional, but in, in a metaphysical sense, they're very three-dimensional. Uh, they're very sort of pragmatic, pragmatic in the way that we view them, the way that we interact with them. Um, again, it's just a boundary from the outside world that which allows us to sleep, live, learn and work at a basic level. Um, and I guess in kind of metaphysical ideas, it's quite unconsciously made. It's consciously made to be very practical. Uh, but, you know, that's where the kind of the function sort of stops. But from a modern day sort of traditional standpoint, you know, we view, view buildings and architecture as having walls and a roof. Um, but then you can start to look at sort of ancient areas, uh, places which, you know, have a collection of, of forms of objects, maybe like a stone circle, which creates space in a way it doesn't have a roof it's not a place you inhabit but it is creating some kind of ecosystem and obviously you know what that was used for was it's still quite unclear whether it was harnessing particular energies you know spiritual advancement or it was you know tracking the constellations of the stars etc so that's all a bit hazy but it could be argued that that is a piece of architecture because you know it's creating some kind of space even though it doesn't involve a roof itself so in a way, these ancient buildings or like stone circles start to work on more of a like a five dimensional level because it's going beyond the idea of like providing shelter or a place to inhabit. Um, you know, it's it's potentially maybe harmonizing people's health. It's, it's healing them. Uh, it could also do, do the same thing for the surrounding land as well. Um, it can help people access other realms of consciousness. Um, and also later on, look at the ideas of maybe even energy generation as well, how maybe it's harnessing the Earth's energy and also atmospheric energy to kind of create energy itself. Uh, or are they transmitters of energy? 
Um, and even wilder than that, I mean, are these potential like forms of transport, like Stargate travel technology? I mean, there are elements to these kind of architectural spaces that are quite old that we still don't understand from my point of view. And obviously we have a certain amount of programming from our culture, which sort of tells us not to think that way, not to look at these buildings in that way. Um, but obviously a lot of these paradigms are completely disintegrating at the moment. So I think it's important to look at everything with completely fresh eyes. If you start to look at some of these ancient architecture, take the pyramids, for example, and look at it, maybe, you know, not purely as a structure to house like a tomb for a king or, you know, um, or any other kind of ancient building and look at it as a piece of technology in a way. Um, and from a main, mainstream point of view, we've always been told that at the moment we're the peak of modernity and consciousness and, you know, previous what comes before thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, obviously people were less developed, but now we're the kind of the peak of development at the moment. And I would hugely dispute that, um, you know, but the point of view of technology evolution started with, you know, what I would say would like be wind and water and then horse-drawn operating of vehicles as well. Um, and then moving through to kind of combustion technology, uh, such as the external combustion engine, which is essentially a steam engine. And then that changed into an internal combustion engine, which is, you know, diesel or petrol engines, which we still use to this day. Um, but then obviously the prevalence now, the dominant technology that, you know, what I'm able to record this on at the moment, obviously send that across the world is electrical technology. That's the prevalence now. And so when we think of the word technology, we think a lot of the time to do with like electronics. Um, and it's interesting to think, you know, maybe there's another version of technology that we don't, we're not aware of or we don't really understand yet, which is, you know, the harnessing through the use of natural materials like stone, uh, you know, metals um, placed in particular areas on the earth using particular form and structure to harness the ley lines, to harness cosmic forces to harness atmospheric energy to create something like whether that's energy or spiritual advancement or enable people to kind of move into other realms so potentially you can start to look at sort of ancient forms of buildings or older buildings of being quite consciously created like there's something else that's informing their shape and form and the materials that are used and at the moment we're very unconsciously doing stuff i mean Obviously, we give stuff shapes and forms, but it's all for aesthetic reasons. And then also, let's not forget there's, you know, nefarious forces in the world as well. You know, is our, are our urban environments being purposely created to kind of create disharmony for humanity? And are there more esoteric reasons why this is happening? I guess over the last 10 years, I've just started to understand really how detrimental modern architecture is really to human health and human consciousness. And, you know, obviously within architecture at the moment, you can get beautiful buildings through look amazing in an amazing landscape. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of the time, these things I think are being created very unconsciously. Um, and what's interesting when I like reflect back at my course that I did, again, I mentioned it was quite conceptual, it was very artsy. And so there was a certain amount of consciousness involved in that. It wasn't just, oh, you know, I'm just going to place this building here with no reverence to the land around it or the community. There was kind of deep thought that went into, um, you know, the ideas that you created. You know, as an example, uh, one of the projects I did in my second year was called, um, it was in an area in Brighton called Southwick. Um, and it was quite industrial. It was right on the seafront. They had this disused building there. 
and the project was was to come up a, a new use for this building and i went there and it was a particularly kind of um wet day the waves were crashing the wind was howling it was this big spectacle of nature it felt like theater to me and that idea of like theater really then informed this derelict building i decided okay well i'm going to put like a community theater in there so you know it was it's interesting how that you know the placement of the building and what's going on around it really informed the function of that building so there is like i mentioned there's a certain amount of consciousness involved in some of these architectural projects on an educational level um, and I did similar project. There was one other one in Folkestone in my final year. Um, and again, it was quite a rundown area. And it was the whole idea of the project was, you know, what are you going to place in this area that's kind of run down to help the community? And it had all these really interesting views from, you know, the top of the hill. And so I did, my idea was to kind of put this market there on different levels so people could walk around the market whilst also kind of enjoying the, the various kind of fragmented views. So it's quite sort of community focused, but unfortunately, I think a lot of the time within the commercial sector, like all of those ideas are like completely lost. Obviously, it's all about the bottom line. It's about making money. Um, majority of the times, it's not about the reverence for the community around it, the landscape, the story. It's just about money, you know. So the usual commercial story is that you know, everyday housing, shops, factories, some public buildings you have a developer and they have a need to kind of make money. And so they'll design something and maybe they will have a good budget, maybe with the public buildings where they can try and make something nice that has prosperity, maybe last, you know, a hundred years, 50 years, whatever. Um, but a lot of the times it is all to do with profit and it's that drive for profit and that drive to sort of save money. It is entirely possible a lot of the time to design buildings that, cool itself or heat itself in a very natural way and um, but a lot of the time that never gets installed into a building or design baked into the design because it would be it would cost too much it's a lot easier just to design what they want from a functional point of view maybe it looks quite nice but then just put the air conditioning things on the outside or you know the heating boiler or, or furnace on the inside and let the eventual owner deal with the costings you know so so with building design and architecture in general, has this paradigm always been like this? You know, have we have we been making these 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 structures unconsciously forever, or have we lost something through just amnesia? We just forgot as as a, as a species, we just kind of lost this knowledge, or is there something darker going on? Is there a concerted effort to reset and and suppress some of this information about the, making these buildings more than just places to inhabit and to live in? that they are creating healing, that they can create energy on their own. Um, they can create spiritual advancement. But even darker than that is this hidden knowledge that's, that's hold, held by particular forces within this world, you know, weaponizing some of this hidden suppressed knowledge against us. You know, as humanity tries to develop spiritually, tries to develop consciously, are some of the places that we're inhabiting, like cities and buildings, designed in a way really to sort of prevent us from reaching those higher levels of consciousness. So you can really come to the conclusion now that the idea, the very word architecture or building, the definition really needs to be updated. You know, these can be mechanisms for healing, spiritual advancement again, stabilizing the landscape, purifying the landscape around, you know, detoxifying the soil, nurturing of growth of, you know, crops and plants and vegetation around. 
energetically healing the land as well. So it's not just a physical thing, like it's actually working on more of a spiritual level, increasing that connection between humanity and the earth. And all these ideas have been potentially hidden from us from, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of years. More worryingly at the moment, you have forces like the World Economic Forum, which is actually pushing humanity to inhabit more densely populated places, you know, creating smart cities, uh, 50, minute, 50 minute cities. Um, and they're all internet enabled. So every, every service, every aspect of your life is kind of being utilized by the internet and Wi-Fi radiation and EMF radiation. And so not only are you living in these quite cramped conditions, but you're being bathed in this kind of electromagnetic field, which is obviously incredibly detrimental to the human body. So we have this quite modern day dystopian worrying idea of these smart cities, you know, but what has come before, you know, what technologies would we have before? And one of the, the big ones and obvious answers would be the pyramids of Giza in Egypt. And the pyramid as a form and shape is repeated across the world. You know, you find it in Mexico, more controversially, people said there's pyramid in Bulgaria and some in China as well. Um, so yeah. Overall, the pattern of the pyramid shape is found all over the world and even more out there. You know, people have ideas that the pyramids are being found on Mars, etc. as well. So it's a common form, common geometry. So the current alternative thinking uh, for the pyramids in Giza, that they could be places of initiation, spiritual initiation and healing. And also people like, perceive them as being harnessing energies purely based off the geometry or the placement of the pyramids and the materials that they've used and the shape and form uh, through the manipulation of water and sound as well, potentially. So there's a lot of really quite interesting ideas surrounding the pyramids of Giza and actually what their function was. From a mainstream academic point of view, they perceive the pyramids as being tombs, you know, roughly taking 20 years to make, involving 20,000 people, using rudimentary tools. But there are a lot of theories that maybe the pyramids even predate the idea of Egyptian culture and that the Egyptians, what we see perceive as being the ancient Egyptians, were utilising a building that was already there before them by a more advanced culture. And then there's loads of ideas like, how did they build this? You know, was this, was this using advanced techniques or technology we just don't have access to? You know, they have an understanding of science that we don't. Or was it they had outside help? Was a more a non-human intelligence actually helping build these pyramids? But it's very obvious, even from a very physical point of view, that they understood, you know, sophisticated geometry and mathematics just due to the precision of everything. And the placement of some of these buildings and the accuracy is greater than the majority of all modern buildings at the moment. And Actually, through using mainstream measuring devices, they can see that the pyramids are harnessing an incredible amount of magnetic energy. So this is kind of some of the energetic stuff they can see from a mainstream point of view. Because of the sophistication and its, its placement, its mathematics, you can start to look at the pyramids as being a type of machine because of the accuracy. Um, yeah, which it probably was. Predominant material used in the construction of pyramids in Egypt, but also around the world, is granite. And granite is an amazing conductor of electromagnetic energy. Also, what was found in Giza is the, the use of limestone as well in the inside of the pyramid and also on the outside. And limestone is a highly conductive material. 
um, and the precision of the, the cutting of the blocks of the limestone on the outside of the pyramid suggested they had advanced technology and it went far beyond what we could even uh, use on the space shuttles when they have the heat tiles. Uh, the precision cut of the limestone on the outside of the pyramid was greater than that. And because, again, of the precision, the precision of the cuts of the masonry, it really sort of points towards advanced technology rather than a hammer and a chisel. Or someone was telling me once that they cut the blocks using horsehair, which seemed quite crazy. <laughs> it's like, how can you do that accurately? And so they had access to really advanced masonry techniques, obviously. So with the Pyramids of Giza, there's also a, a series of rooms inside and also tunnels some of them are really deep underneath the pyramids itself. The kind of the structure of the pyramid you see on the surface is not half of it. It's part of an overall larger, larger structure that also goes underground and includes a network of water tunnels, which originally would have redirected water directly from the River Nile. And because of this, many speculate that the pyramids were a type of free energy device. Uh, but there's many people, theorists and scientists and archaeologists, that disagree on how this actually happened. You know, were the pyramids harnessing earth energies or atmospheric cosmic currents to create energy? Or is it through the use of water and solar energy mechanisms for energy generation? At the moment, I mean, we're having this huge electrical revolution with kind of electric cars, etc. And batteries are a big part of that. Um, and you can get what are called saltwater batteries, which produce electricity, produce energy. Um, but they can be quite large. That's why a lot of the time battery technology at the moment apparently is surrounding lithium because these can be a lot more compact in size and then can store energy in a smaller smaller area. So were the pyramids being utilised as some form of saltwater battery? I mean, that is something to consider. Some of those theories do hold weight because people have described what looked like electrical symbols, you know, on the inside of the pyramids um, and then which are being painted. And, and then also Various locking and hook mechanisms have also been found, which people have theorised that may be electrodes, which can be locked in place like an anode or a cathode. So there is potential like leads in terms of that idea of there being some form of like energy battery. And because it has so many water tunnels underneath the pyramid, is that harnessing of salt water and fresh water also part of that mechanism of energy generation? We can start to look at the pyramids from a Tesla point of view. He was all about energy drawn from the ether from the zero point and some people have perceived and theorized that maybe the queen's chamber was used as some kind of energy collector because it had a highly polished white limestone on the inside and limestone again is a very powerful insulator and can store power and so you can maybe look at the opposing energies from the sky and the earth from the ley lines given its continuous energy generation which is then stored in the stone in some of these chambers. So that's another theory as well. And some have found what they think are traces of cables and other structures, which again have been theorised as maybe being some kind of grounding mechanism. So again, you have this continuous charge from the ley lines and the connection between the sky and earth, creating this energy from the planet itself. Acoustics and sound. Many people have said that acoustics have been highly considered in the pyramids within these internal chambers and internal tunnel system. And they have many chambers, obviously different sizes, different shapes, and all of these chambers produce different sound frequencies. And um, so you can sing and chant in different rooms and it creates different frequencies. And again, is that part of the technology? Is there something we're missing with that as well in terms of sound frequency? 
the basis of sound is obviously frequency. And even with like modern day technology, they can see there's a lot of different concentrations of energy through the structure. Um, the energy con concentration is highest at the top of the building. And some of the frequencies emanating from the pyramids are incredibly low, low frequency sounds, which can actually even pass through stone. So this begs the question, is the pyramid acting as some kind of transmitter because some of these frequencies are being projected out through the stone out into the environment surrounding? So far, we've really looked at the pyramids in, the, in terms of the shape, the form, the materials. And there's another huge aspect to this in terms of the actual location and where it is in the land, where it is on planet Earth. And is that part of the, the function of the building, you know, where it's located? And it is weirdly located on the longest line of latitude and also longitude as well. It's 30 degrees longitude and 30 degrees latitude. So again, how would the ancient Egyptians have this type of knowledge? And then the reflection of the shape and the form, it's one twelfth of the Earth's circumference. And again, how would they know that? We obviously baked in the geometry of the Earth into the pyramid itself. There are researchers out there that make a connection between Egypt and the pyramids and their technologies and Atlantis, the idea of a lost civilization of Atlantis. And obviously their whole civilization was destroyed either by natural causes or by some kind of man-made catastrophe. But you had all these people leaving that area, this incredibly advanced knowledge and then landing in Egypt and basically recreating some of this technology there. It could be that you know, the area of Egypt and the Giza pyramids, one of the key remaining activated points with some ideas that, the, you know, the, the pyramids could be some kind of possible stargate, which then goes way beyond the idea of any, any harnessing energy. That is actually some form of transportation device as well. And don't forget, there's a lot of ideas in terms of like, we're coming out this quite the age of Pisces, this quite dark period of humanity and we're coming into what is called the age of Aquarius and more of a utopian society where the, you know the consciousness is rising etc in order for some of these ancient architectural technologies to work maybe we need to be in a more energetic space so as we've come out the age of Pisces and we're into the age of Aquarius maybe there's more spiritual energy that these you know buildings or architectural structures can be activated and operate how they should be because the energy's there where the energy hasn't been there before. In terms of ideas of Atlantis, there's no real physical like evidence of it that we know of, such as buildings, etc. It's all scattered information, you know, from scriptures or oral history, a lot of channeled information as well, kind of coming through these days from people we have with having past lives, etc. Um, there's a, a figure called Edgar Casey who used to get in a trance-like state and he would provide people with medical healing or give them a list of instructions how to heal from various conditions. But people would also pay him to um, basically impart his wisdom talking about some historical events. And he went at great length to describe Atlantis. And he would describe advanced technologies, you know, harnessed through buildings, water, crystal technologies, and also genetics. Some of the information concerning why Atlantis, you know, just disappeared, like what happened. And some perceive as the fact they, they got so out of control with their technology, what they were doing. They were really bending the forces of nature. And some perceived that there was some force that decided to create some kind of reset to 
destroy this civilization civilization because they'd lost their way so much. Also, the school of thought that it was a completely natural disaster as well, and they maybe even brought it upon themselves through misuse of technology. So it'd be incredibly prudent for humanity at the moment to take stock and maybe think, you know, the direction we're going with technology at the moment, is it good? You know, what could be the consequences, which is obviously not happening at the moment. Another mythical civilization which is gaining a lot of traction at the moment are ideas to do with Tartaria. This is a subject matter I'm not totally well versed on. Um, I've done some very superficial reading. Uh, I've seen a few videos and you know, listened to podcasts where they discuss some of these concepts. Um, but this whole subject really is gaining a lot of popularity on the internet. And it ties in a lot of the ideas of similar to Atlantis of having great resets, which again is very prevalent with the World Economic Forum conversation as well. And their talk about a great reset. Um, and Tartari is, is mentioned on quite a few ancient or old maps. And a lot of people speculate that they have these things called mud floods, which is kind of part of the whole reset process and mechanism where it just resets the whole civilization again. And so some of the buildings around the world that are very opulent um, in various countries could be older than we actually think. And the original purpose and function is a lot more sophisticated than we're actually, you know, given to believe. Um, a lot of this is kind of speculation, but there's a growing movement and researchers are kind of looking into this area. Whether the concept of Tartara is true or not, it's very interesting speculation that's happening at the moment. And some of these ideas that are perking up, percolating up through the collective. Whereas looking at buildings as not just places of shelter and gathering, but potentially, again, energy generating, self-sustaining, and also enhancing spirituality as well. And maybe, again, wild ideas of like creating transportation technology as well. And all of this technology is the result of harnessing amplification, movement, and utilisation of beneficial energy whether that comes from solar, you know, the sun's particle energy, or directly from the land itself. Uh, another offshoot, quite interesting offshoot of Tartaria is looking at um, the world fairs that happened around the, the turn of the 20th century. And at the time, it was defining a lot of the technology and culture that was to come. And um, some of the imagery, the photographs that were taken sort of depict incredibly elaborate buildings. And weirdly, you know, some of these buildings look very, very extremely opulent and then they were only up for a short period of time and then they were seemingly just taken down at a very short period. And only a few of these buildings actually survive. Plus a lot of the photography shows heavy use of water, you know, water fountains, um, pond areas, etc. So the question people are asking is like, why spend so much time and so much energy creating these really sophisticated, opulent buildings to then seemingly just tear them down after a short period of time. Um, and there's also a, a load of other weird anomalies that people have highlighted. It might be not be nothing. It might be just coincidence. But just the sheer number of orphans that are around at the time, which people are speculating sort of points towards like a great reset, like lots of the adults potentially died off and there's just all these children left. Um, it gets quite mad, actually, some of the ideas. And I'm not discounting it. But I'm just sort of conveying sort of the broad brushstrokes of it as well. And, and then also, I mean, there's a huge prevalence of insane asylums across the United Kingdom and also other areas of the Western world. And, you know, why was that? You know, is it 
genuine that there was so many kind of people with mental health issues at that time as there was something deeper going on. You know, that a speculation is that some of these people, you know, were part of the old civilization and then essentially put in the asylum to sort of keep them hidden away. Again, this could be a, a, a quite a stretch for most people's imagination, but it's an interesting variable to consider, you know, just to not completely discount it as, as reality. Now coming back closer to home, you know, the United Kingdom, British Isles, um, you know, has a huge prevalence of old churches and cathedrals scattered across the landscape. And, you know, that's the same for much of Europe as well. And these, you know, buildings, obviously, from our understanding at the moment, they perceived as being places of worship, places of Christianity, you know, whether that would be Protestant or, or Roman Catholic. Um, but the predominant activity in there is all to do with sound, isn't it? And a lot of them have bells. Even the smaller churches would have a bell. Um, the cathedrals have a multitude of bells. Um, and, and then they'd, a lot of them would have like, large organs in there as well. And then there'd be the whole practice of singing hymns as well. So a huge aspect of these buildings is all to do with sound. I'm sure a lot of you have heard of this already thing called cymatics, which is obviously the kind of science of looking at sound. This uh, Swiss physician called Hans Jenny was able to visualize sound by vibrating certain frequencies through a plate, like a dark plate. And then it would have a scattering, a, a film of sand on top. And then depending on the frequency, the sand on the, on the vibrating plate would then rearrange into complex geometry. And obviously that's just showing you on a 2D plane, but we can't see with 3D because there's obviously the sound is, is, is not visible. Um, but it just details that axonometric cut through the sound ge geometry. And you can imagine 3D, that would be quite a complex 3D shape just from the sound itself. Now, there's a cymatic link to potentially to, to cathedrals and churches, interestingly. Uh, there was a lady called Tanya Harris and she went around various cathedrals and actually recorded silence in the cathedrals itself. And then she took the, the recordings back to a studio, amplified the recordings and then played it back through water and light that was shining through the water. Uh, and then the sound uh, kind of obviously affected the water and you could see similar patterns, similar, similar geometry to the cymatics. And what is really interesting is that some of the patterns and shapes that were created when she, you know, she audibly put this noise through the water, it looked very much like the stained glass windows, the round rose stained glass windows that you get in cathedrals predominantly. So already the architects and the makers of these amazing buildings throughout Europe, you know, we look at cathedrals and churches as being purely aesthetic, obviously understanding acoustics and how they obviously factored that into the in the design, but it's a whole sphere, potentially a layer that we don't see and don't understand, which is to do with sound and geometry, cymatics, and their understanding of this and the healing power of it as well, and how it actually informs the design itself. Also, I'm pretty sure that when Tanya Harris recorded the, these sounds in the cathedral and amplified it through the water and the, and the light, that they very much correlated the geometry that was created in the water, the patterning, very much correlated to what the rose stained glass window looked like in that specific church or cathedral. Again, double check that. But yeah, that's amazing if that's, if that's correct. But then also looking at the key elements of sound created within a cathedral or church, 
you look at the bells, I mean, a lot of the time they're perceived to be point of communication. So the bells would ring in on Sunday morning, calling out to people to come to church um, or potentially if it was a special occasion, the bells would be ringing for that as well. But is there a deeper reason for these bells that exist? Obviously you get different sizes, different tones. Was there an, a, a reason for this that goes beyond purely just for signaling out to people that, you know, these frequencies could affect the human body in some way, whether that be healing or spiritual advancement? And again, some of these the older cathedrals have these really quite sophisticated, old, large organs as well with a multitude of different notes and sounds that can be created. And again, you've got to wonder, is there a deeper meaning behind the use of this technology that goes beyond purely, you know, creating a noise so people can sing along to with their hymns? Is there a deeper understanding and reasoning behind these, these uh, organs? And like the pyramids, really, are in the situation where we have all these old buildings and ancient architecture, which isn't really operating the way it should do because maybe it's been modified or it's been damaged. Again, it could be this situation where the spiritual, the cosmic energies aren't there to be harnessed because obviously we're coming out of an age of quite, um, you know, dark period of human history. But then it's not just buildings potentially that aren't being utilised correctly. Some of these ancient old cities, maybe like London, even Brighton, where I used to live before, has, has, it's got a lot of tunnels underneath it as well. And uh, again, this is kind of complete, pure speculation um, but as a as a deeper reason behind this is for moving water for spiritual purposes, energetic purposes, rather than for you know basic utilities for people to drink or to use in fountains. It's a a deeper understanding of these tunnels. But in terms of shapes and forms and you know potentially what that means and why they're like that, I mean there's a lot of domed buildings. You know particularly religious buildings have these big domes, um, and then some of them have metal like aerials on the top, they could be crosses, they could be crescents, half moons, maybe stars. Again, you can maybe ponder whether some of these are receivers of atmospheric energy and whether then the shape of the dome itself then amplifies that kind of channeled energy from the atmosphere. Um, and maybe some of this, this energy is then utilised in practical ways. It could be harnessed to regulate the temperature of the building or create light as well. And again, being utilised for healing of the human body and their spiritual advancement is also another possibility. And going back to what I mentioned earlier in terms of developers these days and their, and their remit and what kind of drives them to kind of construct these, these architectural-like structures uh, and the fact that they a lot of the time just want to save money and just not the cost further down the line. And so rather than kind of building design features with these buildings that kind of self-regulate in terms of heating and cooling, etc. They just stick air conditioning or heating units on the external of the building. And, and again, there's a larger thing to do with like building regulations and builders themselves. Obviously they have all these rules, strict rules, which kind of stifles creativity and new ideas as well. So that's also a problem. Or getting slightly conspiratorial. I mean, you can maybe perceive that there are a certain cross-section of humanity that have access to this technology and understand this building technology. Um, there is an interesting story uh, from a guy called David Adir who's been talking at length at the moment because he's coming towards the end of his life and he wants to disclose some of the information he has. 
Um, but he was like a young rocket inventor and an absolute genius at the time. And the military sort of recognized his genius and actually took him to Area 51. And he claimed he was taken deep into the facility, like literally underground into a deep underground base. And he was saying some of the technology he saw there within the base itself, within, you know, the fabric of the building was amazing. And the whole area underground was just lit and they had these huge hangars, these huge tunneling system. And it was all completely lit naturally, but there was no obvious light source. And again, he was speculating how that could happen, but it wasn't using you know, incandescent bulbs or you know anything like that, what, what we use at the moment. It was purely light. The underground space obviously would have been dark, but somehow the whole area was lit up, but there was no obvious light source. So it kind of points towards like a sophistication in building technology that we don't have access to at the moment. So going back to the shape and form of, of buildings, you know, you have all these elements that we're used to, like columns and turrets and archways. And then again, in the modern sense, we always view them as a decorative thing, a decorative flourish. You know, you would have a function, a practical function, but it was an aesthetic thing. Um, but again, are there deeper like reasons for the, you know, why they look like that? Is there a technology, a mechanism behind it? Again, going back to conspiratorial theories again, um, a lot of these buildings are quite similar to the human body, you know, as above, so below, that whole mantra. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people, including myself, have the opinion that the human body is being purposefully degraded, like it's being doled down with the use of electromagnetic pollution, you know, chemicals in the water, chemicals in the food. You know, we're living essentially in this toxic soup which deeply affects the human body and sort of severs that connection a lot with cosmic forces, you know, a higher power potentially, and also just cause disease and illness and generally makes people feel quite agitated and, you know, creates anxiety and depression. So I think that's a very real thing that's being purposely done. And so, you know, is that the same with some of the architecture in the buildings? Have they purposely been, you know, this kind of more spiritual, higher connection and their reason for existing, has that been suppressed on purpose? And looking again at that link, you know, how potentially these structures are emulating nature, emulating the human body in, in a certain way. We can look at the human head and the idea of a crown chakra that kind of creates our connection, it's our antenna to the cosmos. And looking at the shape of uh, some of these dome buildings, and again, they have the, you know, the, the antenna, the spike that I talked about earlier in terms of the crosses or the crescents or the moons or the stars, like an area which traditionally people see as being some kind of grounding implement for lightning. But again, is there a deeper thing going on here? It's almost like some of these buildings with the dome and, and the kind of the metal antennas at the top act like some kind of crown. And then you can then obviously start to look at royalty within a lot of cultures around the world wearing crowns in Europe. And also in, you know, other areas, Southeast Asia, they have a prevalence within spiritual circles and also royalty wearing crowns. And I think in Hindu, it's called Makuta. It's <laughs> a really bad pronunciation. But they have similar crowns in other regions in Southeast Asia, from Indonesia, Thailand, ancient Egyptian cultures as well were quite prevalent. A lot of statues with, with people with long pointy or domed headed headwear so are these crowns harnessing cosmic energy some way? Is it a way to kind of harness and advance spirituality within these, you know, royalty 
members of royalty and our buildings really the shape and form especially with the domes just emulating that whole process but just on a larger scale but onto other architectural anomalies um, and this is the first time i've ever heard of this one where i started to research this is just completely new to me and i found it really intriguing but apparently i, I mean i've been to ireland a few times and uh, mainly sort of around the dublin region and uh, also kind of northern ireland to belfast but that's kind of it but apparently around Ireland, there's a lot of what are called round towers and they're scattered around the landscape. And some of them align to constellations and various stars. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a book that I'm probably going to order, but it's by, written by Dr. Philip Callahan, And the book is called uh, Paramagnetism, Rediscovering Nature's Secret Force of Growth. And this is a quote from this book. And it said, I discovered that the round towers are indeed high tower ELF radio antenna, paragrammatic amplifiers. More astonishing yet, I discovered the ancient Irish monks of the 5th to the 9th centuries were rock antenna radio engineers. So again, like with the pyramids, this is another incidence of ev potential evidence that kind of points towards these using a particular technology which harnesses material in terms of stone, the landscape in terms of the, you know, the ley lines, the, earth, the earth's energy, and also kind of cosmic energy as well to create some sort of energy, some kind of paramagnetic force, and then it amplifying it out for what reason we are unsure. Um, but it could be to do again with purifying the landscape for spiritual advancement. I mean, who knows, but it's just another thread of evidence to kind of point towards this sort of technology existing and that we have no idea how it works at the moment. There's also speculation in terms of how these round Irish towers actually operate and the fact that they can be tuned by raising and lowering the soil at the base of the actual kind of tower itself. But again, how the energy is used is a complete mystery. Um, but it just seems such a basic technique, you know, just changing the shape of the space inside obviously then in some way affects how the energy is, is, is manipulated. I'm not actually sure what particular material that some of these round towers were, were made with. Um, but again, we kind of look at materials, such as quartz, granite, limestone. Um, people sometimes have the opinion that, you know, these materials are chosen for, you know, maybe their aesthetics, the way they look, or because, you know, literally it's within the local area. But is there a deeper reasoning, a deeper thought process that goes behind you know, choosing some of these materials because of their properties. Um, and it's known that quartz actually can hold information. You can actually store information in quartz. And red brick as well has a high iron content and therefore can store energy. So again, this is acting as some kind of battery. And like we mentioned with the pyramids as well, granite gives off a certain amount of radiation as well. And that could be harnessed in some way with these ancient technologies. So places like stone circles, um, a lot of the materials that they used tended not to be in the local area. They tended to import the stone from large distances, obviously because they had particular properties that were inherent that needed to be used in order for the mechanism to work. Um, so, yeah, this is quite a common thing that a lot of the stone circles, the stone is found elsewhere, obviously, because the local stone just won't operate in the way that they want it to. So, again, with stone circles, it's very much like a... It's a creating an energetic component, which you're still not completely aware of how it works, really. 
Um, but, you know, what are some of the energies that potentially these buildings or constructions are utilising? I mean, initially you get, you know, telluric currents, ley lines, which are perceived to be the meridians of the planet. Um, obviously you get meridians in the human body. So again, as above, so below. This is kind of well known to us. And we can look at the atmospheric energy as well. Uh, natural static charge, which is present in the atmosphere. You know, some people are calling it atmospheric etheric energy, AEE, which is a subtle force of nature. Uh, and I was reading this blog post and it was quite fascinating. And it was making a connection between this atmospheric etheric energy and dark matter, which is this pervasive, like strange substance, which seems, seems to elude conventional physics and scientists. This is what, you know, one of the core functions, what they tell us the core function of is the, of the Large Hadron Collider, in, you know, CERN. And I thought it was an interesting idea, you know, because the scientists are trying to look for this matter, which they, through their mathematics, can see that's there, but they can't see it physically, practically. And is there a correlation between this energy that some of these buildings and stone circles and Aiken architecture, is that what potentially has been harnessed is atmospheric etheric energy? And that's what dark matter is. I mean, that's, I thought that was a fascinating point. What makes it tragically funny is that scientists are wasting potentially billions of dollars on this CERN thing. You know, maybe they just need to talk to their local dowser who could sort of <laughs> talk them through some of these energies, what they're looking for. I mean, it's a thought. Another trend recently that I've really noticed on the internet to do with gardening and, and growing vegetables and agriculture, etc., uh, is a thing called electroculture. And it very much correlates to the idea of some of the architectural buildings you know, potentially harnessing some of these cosmic energies. Um, and this is quite similar to what electroculture is, where it's, 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 it's basically harnessing cosmic, that atmospheric etheric energy, um, and then using it to grow fruit and veg and, and other vegetation. And some people are claiming it increases yields by 100 to 300% and also eliminates the need for pesticides and fertilizer because it kind of purifies the soil and, and creates an amazing environment for these plants to grow essentially and how this is practically done i mean i don't know huge amount of it but what i can see through some of these posts and the information people are putting on facebook etc on these groups is that you're creating like a copper aerial which you essentially stick into the ground um, and it's pretty simple then that that radial uh, aerial then just emits the energy into the ground of the soil and then affects the growing of the vegetation I mean, this could be a huge solution in, you know, creating crops and food that isn't poisoned, that isn't tainted by pesticides or herbicides, you know, but obviously there's going to be people who are going to be pushed against this sort of technology because at the end of the day, the bankers, the money men aren't going to make the money selling these, these weak seeds and selling these solutions in terms of like pesticides and herbicides to kill all these. I mean, why would they want to introduce a system which basically cuts them out and where they can they can grow crops that are incredibly strong and resilient without all of this like chemical use. As a researcher, you're kind of looking at all these shards of information that are scattered across, you know, concerning ley lines, earth energies, cosmic energies, you know, the construction and form and shape of architecture and how that affects the landscape and humanity as a whole. You know, who has this hidden suppressed knowledge? Is it bloodline families? Is it transglobal covert forces, military industrial complexes, the Vatican, the Freemasons, maybe all of them are in cahoots and 
have access to this type of knowledge and are trying to suppress it and use it against us in various forms. Um, a good example of you know a worldwide spanning organization would be the Freemasons who operate in in you know in daylight in kind of full view of everyone, but there is a hidden aspect to them, obviously. It has the giggle factor. People perceive it as being like a business networking club where they have sort of silly handshakes and roll their trouser leg, leg up and they have strange rituals. But for the most part, people perceive them as being completely benign and, um, and you know, not, not a threat at all. And for, from my point of view, I probably think a lot of the people that are actually part of this organisation uh, are like that, are probably quite nice people who just want to do well for their community. But it's maybe the upper echelons when you go higher up the hierarchical structure. Maybe this is where some of the real kind of deep knowledge is is kind of hidden. And they're also maybe potentially serving a master that's a lot darker than people think. There's a lot of speculations in terms of the Freemasons' activity within general architecture as a whole, but then also the planning of cities and towns across the world. Uh, Obviously, the dominant material for some of these ancient buildings has been stone. And stone is worked by stonemasons. And that's kind of the origins of the Freemasons. They were a guild of stonemasons. And they were the builders and constructors of some of these buildings. And, you know, you can look at it. Maybe they these original stonemasons had a lot of knowledge to do with ley lines and energy and cosmic forces in order to, to design and construct these edifices. So particularly in the UK and other places of Europe, you can... You can cast an eye at some of the churches and cathedrals again and looking at places of worship. But again, what else has been going on within these these forms of architecture in terms of some of the technologies we've been discussing and how much has been suppressed by this organisation, the Freemason? How much information do they still hold in their vaults and have, you know, knowledge of at the higher echelons of the the organisation? A good example of, you know, Masonic architecture and city planning people look towards Washington, D.C. and the United States and see it as a huge Masonic manifestation of some of their belief systems and understanding of, you know, ley lines and energy lines. And it's clear for everyone to see in daylight, they have, there's a lot of goat head symbolism, owl-like symbolism embossed within the city streets and pathways, which are very much visible from a bird's eye point of view. If you kind of search for photographs online, it's, it's there, you can see it. And you can't deny some of the genuine symbolism that's there in our faces. Further to this, there's a lot of information concerning the actual placement of these buildings, these these artefacts of power in in the United States, and how they may have been placed on very potent energy lines. And not this is not just segregated to you know the United States and Washington D.C., but other kind of places of power around the world. And again, you have to speculate. You know, are they harnessing power? This is part of the maintaining of the current paradigm, this, you know, hierarchical structure very much is, is held in place by these buildings of power being placed in very key strategic places. And it's maybe not just buildings of political power, maybe kind of military amount, military bases. Um, you know, the United States has such great military power across the world and has military bases across the world and could be looked as an occupying force in many ways. I mean, especially across the United Kingdom, there's various, you know, military bases that stem from the United States. And to my knowledge, I don't think the UK has, you know, bases in America. Within the United States, you have states like California, 
where there's, you know, military bases all over the place in very energetic, potent places. And again, is that on purpose? It's not purely about maybe inhabiting areas, maybe that are kind of remote and away from people. That's part of it. But are, is the placement, you know, put in position of very powerful ley lines to affect the consciousness of the planet? And this is also true of the United Kingdom in Wiltshire, which is a very, very energetic place where you obviously have Stonehenge and you have Avebury Stone Circles and various other sacred sites. There's a lot of military bases that are kind of peppered around that area. So are these military bases utilising the Earth energies for particular technologies or is it, are they kind of harnessing and suppressing certain spirituality, certain consciousness through their presence on those ley lines? Some people also have the, the speculative view. I mean, there's not a lot of information I can find on this, but in terms of abattoirs and slaughterhouses of animals being placed on particular ley lines to, you know, obviously that the pain and disharmony is created by the killing of these animals and the disharmony it creates and then being fed back into the energetic fields, which then just cause divisive nature, cause violence and causes disease through humanity, through the pumping of these energies from the, you know, the pain and suffering of these animals. My own thoughts in terms of like energy, energy potential harvesting of humanity, I've sort of pondered a lot. And um, this is a lot of my own thought in terms of modern city structures and how much human energy is harvested in cities, particularly when people are there to work, etc. And the epitome of modern city and town planning is the grid system, which is obviously a very blocky way of approaching you know town planning and, and is perceived to be easier to navigate you have cities in the united states australia all using this same straight line methodology and it's a real movement away from nat natural principles in terms of like soft curves and undulating kind of pathways i've worked quite frequently in sort of quite high density areas of london and in also quite tall like high buildings and i can't think about the energetic component of this like all of these people beavering away, working away, and the amount of potential energy they're creating, like kind of psychic or spiritual energy. And is there a way, is that being harnessed in some way, either by the building itself or the placement where it is in the land? And when you start to look at the city grid system and the building, it starts to really look like a, an electrical cir circuitry, like a, a printed circuit. I mean, there is some information out there which looks at, sports venues you know huge venues and you have this collective attention of this crowd maybe like 80 or 90,000 people crammed into really small space and they're all concentrating on this one thing and then especially if, if that event is televised as well that's you know multiplied around the world you could have millions or billions I mean particularly like the world cup or the you know the world cup football cup or the super bowl in the United States have huge television viewing figures as well and it's just like, again, is that, is that attention? Is that energetic human component? Is that harnessed in some way against us? I even started to consider war memorials because in my experience, every time I see a war memorial, it seems to be in a relatively energetic place. And, you know, every a few times a year, you have gatherings of people around these monuments, again, with a certain intention gathered around. And then how much is that energy being harvested? I mean, in the sort of example of Brighton and Ditchling, they have war memorials and, and both are in relatively energetic areas and quite near to former potential standing stones as well. Um, and in Scotland, which I've been to frequently, 
Um, there's a t- t- small town called Oban, which is a kind of a springboard to a lot of the islands on the, on the west coast of, of Scotland. And I noticed there, there was a, a war memorial and it was right next to this huge standing stone. So again, every time I see a war memorial, it was always in a very energetic place, which I've always found very fascinating. So in conclusion, we have literally jumped all over the map, both in time and space and thought. I've had some very scattered thoughts. Um, I always find Graham Hancock, the sort of alternative writer of archaeology, he always talks about humans being a species with amnesia and we've forgotten so much and we have so much to rediscover and I think he's right on the nail. I think that's kind of what we're dealing with at the moment and some of it has been lost through the sands of time but again, I think there's been a lot of manipulation and suppression of knowledge as well. But this suppression, I think, still continues. I mean, you have a lot of wars centred on the Middle East. These are ancient cultures in Iraq and Syria. And there's been a lot of things in the news, you know, a few years ago of ancient artefacts and various bits of architecture being decimated. And it's just more knowledge that's being lost. And it's like, you know, how much of that is on purpose? You know, they like to blame it on various dissident kind of terrorist groups and stuff. But... How much of that is, you know, the powers that be, again, just trying to wipe humanity's, you know, knowledge and understanding of their own history. From my own point of view, it just feels like the task for humanity is huge. We've created, you know, living environments which are quite detrimental, I think, to our own health and communities and cause disease and a lot of harm. And we have so much to remember and so much to put right in terms of, you know, the materials we're using in building, you know, the consciousness of the placement, the form, the shape. I mean, it's just everything concerning it needs to be completely rethought and redesigned. So the task is humongous, but at least I think there's an awareness that's kind of percolating through into the collective and hopefully, you know, the future kind of understanding this and rebuilding will be an exciting one. Well, that wraps it up. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Reconsider Simon. Um, yeah. As always, this has been great. You can catch me on the internet on reconsidersimon.com. Um, you can find me on YouTube, on Rumble and Odyssey, and also on various podcast platforms as well. And I will bid you a good night or good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye.